welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 95. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, post it to your social media stories. Also, if you are listening on the iTunes podcast app, you can always please feel free to give us a rating and write a review. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. You can also just search The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or find that link in any of the show notes below. And as always, we say, you know, we don't just coach physique athletes. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. So without further ado, jumping into the questions today. So this first one says... What is your opinion on natty or nots? Cool. So have you heard of this term before? I have heard of this term before. Yes. <laughs> and do you know what it means? Yes, I do know what it means. It kind of means what it says, right? Are you natty or are you not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's a fairly popular trend on YouTube and Instagram at the moment to get some popular guy from social media and say, are you natty or not? And do an uh, evaluation of him. And I guess it's not it's not exactly new like people especially like the younger lifting community I think they kind of like to always overanalyze whether someone's natty or not and debate lots of forums on Reddit that do it we know some people ourselves who've who has been on those forums as well <laughs> and yeah it's uh I can totally understand why people enjoy doing that because people want to people have aspirations to certain physiques and if someone who has a nice physique isn't natty or you you want to believe they're not natty because then it's not as much of a blow when you realize okay that's not attainable naturally so i feel better about my own progress and i think insecurity is where most of that arises from and maybe some genuine sort of anger or frustration that someone genuinely isn't natty who is claiming to to then be natural and like selling products or maybe even competing uh, in a natural federation. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing, right? Like whenever I look at someone who has an incredibly impressive physique, you know, they have a high amount of lean mass in proportion to their amount of body fat. The first thing I think is never, are they natural or are they enhanced? I always just look at them and I'm like, damn, that is hard work because guys, there's no denying that whether or not you choose to go down an enhanced route or perhaps you choose to just stay on the natural route, quote unquote, this shiz takes time and this shiz is really, really hard, okay? So if you are looking at someone with an incredible physique, regardless of how they have attained that physique, there's no denying that they have had to put in copious amounts of work. They have had to be very disciplined, right? And consistent over time because as we know, you know, you and I both live and breathe this lifestyle. It doesn't just happen overnight. Even if we were to take performance enhancing drugs, it wouldn't just happen overnight. You know, you have to be consistent. You have to be adherent and you have to put in the work over time and continuously keep showing up and to build a very impressive physique and put on a hell of a lot of lean mass. You have to train really hard. Yeah, totally. It's, it's always going to be a lot of work. And to be honest, we, we aren't, we don't delve into that side of things Mm -hmm. really. We don't know too much about it, but we thought we'd kind of address this topic anyway, because people are basically, 
I think it's limiting their own growth and not just like mental and physical growth by saying certain people are enhanced when they may might not be. And therefore that's kind of putting a cap on your own sort of progress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There was this really great podcast episode on the muscle memoirs podcast and I can't remember the exact guests who were interviewed, but they were having this debate on what the natural crowd can learn from the enhanced crowd and what the enhanced crowd can learn from the natural crowd. And they made this really good point that just because someone else can attain a physique that you can't naturally does not mean that person is not natural. So just because someone looks better than you, God believe it, they might actually not be on drugs. So <laughs> that's the thing, right? Sometimes people just need to invest their time and their energy into focusing on themselves and how they can improve themselves rather than trying to bring other people down, right? Which does stem from insecurity to try to build themselves up, right? Guys, channel your energy into building yourself up rather than bringing other people down is what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. And so I've watched a few Natty or Nots and... Like I can understand why they're so popular because everyone loves a controversial topic in social media nowadays. That's what gets the likes, the views, the most reshares. People then hate on what you've said and then they share it because they hate it or Mm -hmm. people share it because they like it. That's the way the world turns at the moment. That's social media for you. (laughs) Look at politics as well. So, and yeah, there's definitely good ways of doing natty or nots, like looking at things objectively. But then there's people who just hate on other people and just say they're not natty because as we've said, they look better than yeah. what the what the host looks like. So overall, I guess my quick two cents on the matter, which is inexperienced in this topic. So basically, I the only view I have on PDs is one, make sure you know what you're doing before you go into it and don't do it blindly. So definitely research consult a doctor, all that kind of stuff. Because again, this is my inexperienced kind of take on it, but there'll there'll always be some sort of health risk when... Yeah, there's always going to be consequences to putting, Mm. you know, exogenous hormones into your body. Yeah. I mean, even natural natural bodybuilding has health risks. Yeah, any sport has health risks, right? Yeah. So just know what you're doing before you use those substances. And two... I have respect for anyone who competes in bodybuilding and in order, like it is an extreme sport and like you got to, if you want to compete at the top level in IFBB, you've got to use that stuff. Mm-hmm. And there might be like one in one in 10 million who doesn't have to do that. But overall, the only issue I have is when people who take PEDs then compete in natural bodybuilding or they've taken them in the past and gained a lot of muscle and then they might not be on them when they compete, but yeah, they still have an unfair advantage. So that's the only issue I'll take with it. Other than that, I I honestly don't think about it at all. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And especially if you do choose to go down the route of taking performance enhancing drugs, by no means, even if you, you know, you can find a loophole in the system or something, or like you just said, you're not actually currently taking them, but you have taken them in the past, which has given you an unfair advantage. And then you do choose to compete in a natural federation that is just so beyond unfair, you know? And that's the thing about bodybuilding, right? And similar to powerlifting, there's two different routes that you can go down. There are tested federations and there are untested federations. So 
Obviously, tested federations are where people who are quote-unquote natural will compete. And then the untested federations, of course, you can still compete in those, right? If you haven't taken any sort of performance-enhancing drugs, but they also give other people who have taken performance-enhancing drugs the opportunity to compete with people who are on their same level. Because just like it says, right, performance-enhancing drugs will enhance your performance and they will enhance your muscularity and your ability almost to be superhuman. But that's the unique thing about these sports with bodylifting and powerlifting. It gives you two different opportunities to stay in your own playing field and compete with players who are on the same level as you. And I guess, you know, a really good analogy that I actually thought of for bodybuilding per se is that imagine bodybuilding is like sitting a math exam, right? And half of the class only has access to the exam itself and just paper and pen. The other half of the class has the math exam, paper, pen, and they have a calculator, right? And we've all been in a math exam before, right? We all know how much of an advantage it is if you can use a calculator during a math test. So almost imagine that the bodybuilders who are enhanced, they have an advantage because they have access to a calculator. But does that mean that the other half of the class who doesn't have a calculator still can't kick ass on that exam? Hell no, right? But they probably just have to emphasize, right, more of the actual fundamentals, right? So they probably have to put in a hell of a lot more time into studying for that exam. They have to learn all of the equations. They have to become very proficient in being able to remember those equations and write them down in a time efficient manner and actually work them out on the paper. But at the same time, you can almost think that, imagine if a bodybuilder did have access to a calculator, right? That might majorly boost their confidence and be like, hell yeah, I'm gonna absolutely smash this exam. But they might place too much of an emphasis on the calculator and not pay as much attention to the fundamentals, which in this case of the math exam would be actually taking the time to study for the test, you know, learning all the equations, all that shebang, if we're relating it to fitness, right? Actually taking the time to really learn the fundamentals of training and nutrition and not placing too much of an emphasis and reliance on the drugs alone. So that's just- This a, is a massive generalization. This right? is a massive generalization. But <laughs> I guess from what we've seen, you know, is that sometimes when people do go down that enhanced route and they haven't necessarily nailed the fundamentals of training and nutrition, and they don't actually fully respect their importance. That's why sometimes you see these people who are natural, right? Who actually have far more impressive physiques than the guys who are enhanced because they have just nailed the basics, man. And yeah, it probably took twice as many years to get there, right? But at the end of the day, they actually end up looking better because they didn't solely rely just on the performance enhancing drugs. And but at the same time, that's why the top bodybuilders in the world, and that's why we're talking about bodybuilders on the IFBB pro stage, right? That's why they are the best bodybuilders in the world because they nail everything. They nail their training, they nail their nutrition, they nail their recovery, and they've probably got some pretty extensive drug protocols too. <laughs> yeah, and when we talk about the top tier of natural bodybuilding, we're not talking about 
the guy who wins your local amateur show, even though he looks amazing. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like go on Instagram, go to WMBF official and check out the like the top 10 at the pro show for WMBF worlds. Like that's what we're talking about uh, when it comes to top tier natural bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and obviously, there's a hugely different look compared to the Olympia stage, the natural versus enhanced Olympia stage. Yeah, but they're they're different. They're different in different ways. Like one is they're just different playing fields, as Tierra said. Yeah, exactly. And both I would look say, great. Exactly, both look great. And I think at that level, because like we've spoken about before, the standard is so freaking high now. This sport is so goddamn competitive that. If you don't give absolutely everything to your training, nutrition, and recovery, regardless of whether you are taking performance-enhancing drugs or not, you will not be at the top if you do not nail those fundamentals, Mm. right? And obviously looking great is some people would hear us saying the Olympia guys look great and they would like... (laughs) Um, Again, it's a subjective, it's a subjective sport. (laughs) But yeah, guys, I think my best advice is really just, man, focus on you. Okay. Like channel your energy into training as hard as you can. Okay. Nailing your diet, nailing your recovery, and really just focusing on progressing. Okay. Stop playing this comparison game on social media because you can just go down a really negative rabbit hole. All right. And Man, you, you never truly know what anyone else has actually gone through, okay? So stop comparing yourself to other people. Like, stop, like, I've, I've heard girls before, right? They call out some other girl who I believe is not on performance-enhancing drugs. She's just been doing this for 10 years, and she looks phenomenal because of it, right? And she's on, like, a world champion level. And I'll have some girl say to me, like, I go to the gym four days a week, and my butt and legs don't look like that, so she must be enhanced. It's like... No, (laughs) you just are not her and you have not put in the same amount of time or the same amount of work. You are not as disciplined as her. You have completely different genetics to her. Stop stop comparing yourself to her and stop trying to bring her down, right? Just try to like, try to actually build yourself up in the gym, but not just build yourself up by just, yeah, just being really rude to other people and calling them out unnecessarily. Mm, Totally. All right, guys. So that's our opinion, I guess, on natty or nots. (laughs) Okay, so we are moving on to this next question. So this one says, is it excessive to consume more than six pieces of fruit per day? Cool. So this one links in nicely with a podcast we did recently on the Macabolic podcast with Mackenzie Baker. Mm -hmm. And that was number 67, I believe. Yeah. Called Australia's best nutrition plan. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's not clickbait. It really is Australia's best nutrition plan. And we highly recommend you give that a listen, but this ties in nicely because we, we talked about the Australian dietary guidelines. And although the, the question asker isn't from Australia, we can generalize a little bit, but essentially recommendations for each food group and each like fruits, vegetables, grains, protein sources, dairy, they're, they're all indicated on the Australian dietary guidelines. And what's important and what most people don't understand is that those are minimum amounts. They're not maximum amounts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is such a good point to make. And I fell into that trap too. This is years ago before I went to uni. I was like 
in high school, like 16 years old, right? But when I actually looked at the Australian Dietary Guidelines, I always looked at those as maximums, right? I always looked at, okay, I can't have more than two pieces of fruit per day. I can't have more than two and a half servings of dairy, or I can't have more than this amount of meat or whatever. They are minimum requirements, minimum requirements in order to reach your nutrient requirements. So I guess in short, six pieces of fruit per day is certainly not excessive. You Mm. want to be consuming at least two serves, at least two serves per day. And one serving of fruit is equivalent to 150 grams of just fresh fruit. Yeah. Well, let me just, I think maybe some people might think I'm having six pieces of fruit. Like they might have, I don't know, a quarter of a cup of blueberries, which would not be 150 grams. No. (laughs) But... When you think about how many grams six pieces of fruit is, it's quite a lot. And I think some people might be subjectively saying they're having six pieces without realizing that six pieces of fruit is like almost a kilo. Yeah, 900 (laughs) grams of fruit. That is a lot of fruit. (laughs) And the, the caveat we'll say to what we've just said is... You can have too much fruit. You can have too much dairy. You can have too many whole grains. You can drink too much water, man. Yep. And usually... Rather than saying, okay, you can only have six serves of vegetables max, what we would say is basing it off other criteria, especially for people like the, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast who are bodybuilders, they might have elevated energy requirements. They might just be athletes in general who need to eat like 3,000, like 200 calories a day when the, the dietary guidelines recommend like 2,200 or something mm-hmm. like that, which is, I mean, I won't be going that low in my whole comp prep Mm -hmm. i hope (laughs) but that's also because you are not the average australian yeah exactly but what i'm trying to say is you shouldn't have so much of one food group that it compromises your intake of another food group because the reason why the food groups exist is that they all have different nutrients and that's why they have minimum amounts for each food group so overall you get enough of each nutrient during the day so for example the dairy food group has a lot of calcium like the protein food group has iron from like red meat so for example if you are having if you're only on like 100 grams of carbohydrates a day and you're having six serves of fruit, which might be close to that 100 gram intake, you're then depriving yourself of vegetables, of whole grains, even of the carbohydrates and dairy, which you require for those other nutrients. So that's the only, one of the only reasons why you, you would need to limit your intake of something. Yeah. Or, and like another simple factor would just be you don't want to be in an energy surplus when you don't need to be because you'll gain body fat. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. You know, that's the thing. First off, we need to take total energy density into account and how much energy are you actually consuming and how does that align with your goals? Is your goal to be at maintenance calories? Are you trying to be in a surplus? Are you trying to be in a deficit? And then from there, you do need to fit in these different foods into your diet to meet your not just macronutrient requirements, but your micronutrient requirements. So having two serves of fruit per day, having five to six servings of vegetables, having around six servings of grains, right? That's going to help meet primarily your recommendations for carbohydrate containing foods, but also getting a bunch of different fiber diversity as well. Like if you were just getting all of your carbohydrates from just fruit and you weren't eating any vegetables or any whole grains, you would be missing out on a whole bunch of different fiber varieties that would be highly beneficial for your gut microbiome. 
right? Mm. So there's all these different things that you need to take into account. So again, I would say that you should probably nail the basics first and the Australian dietary guidelines, you know, just Google them. And by the way, they're not a pyramid anymore. They are a pie chart. So making sure that you are meeting those minimum recommendations so that you can stay within your total energy requirements, but also hit your micronutrient requirements and macronutrient requirements simultaneously. And then depending on your excess energy that you have left over, like Jack said, right? The recommendations are based on someone who's eating just over 2000 calories per day. But if your intake requirements are around 3000 or 4000 calories per day, right? Then yes, you need to start adding additional serves, particularly if that's coming from carbohydrates, right? Add more fruits, add more grains, add some more starchy veg. Mm. If you have increased protein requirements, eat more than two and a half serves of, of the protein containing foods per day. Yeah. And this is this links in nicely with something I see quite often, and that is for someone who counts macros or someone who just eats in general. I see a lot of the time people kind of just focus on the macros nutrients rather than the micronutrients, mm-hmm. and they don't tie it in at all to the Australian dietary guidelines or the, the, the food groups. One, because they basically, like the Australian government does a, does a very average job of advertising those mm-hmm. guidelines. It kind of makes it sound like they're for like preschoolers and eat your veg and all that kind of stuff. They need to make it a lot more interesting, which is also something we discussed on the Macabolic podcast. Yeah, again, people can't really have an opinion on them because people genuinely don't even know what they are. A lot of people don't even know that they exist. Like it's fine and dandy to have a website, right? Mm. But what if everyone's on Instagram and Facebook all the time? Like I don't see the Australian dietary guidelines popping Mm. up on there or social media influencers getting paid to, you know, promote two and a half serves of dairy per day yeah and it, and what i was saying I'm, I'm today i'm good at getting a bit circumnavigated but what i was saying is a lot of people focus on the macros and what i'll see is like for breakfast they'll have oats and a protein shake or they'll have oats and egg whites and then for lunch they'll have chicken and rice for dinner they'll have chicken and white pasta and then after that they might have a piece of fruit or something Mm -hmm. like that. And maybe they'll throw in some carrots at lunch and then some broccoli at dinner. And then it will be like that every single day. And they'll focus only on hitting the macros without looking at the micro. So whatever country you're in, if your government uh, relies on nutrition, which I think every government is going to have some sort of dietary Mm guidelines. So whether you're in the US, the UK or Australia, even if you just Google the the dietary guidelines, they're going to have something relevant for you to look at. And they're all pretty darn similar. Yeah, they're all very similar. They're all evidence-based as well. Mm -hmm. So make the most of them because if if they're recommending that you have dairy every day, they're recommending that you have fruits and vegetables every day, they're doing it for a reason. And in, in Australia's case, they're doing it to for you to be healthy and to prevent chronic disease. Yeah. So just because you're healthy now, unfortunately, it doesn't mean you won't have chronic disease later down the line. Mm-hmm. That's because the whole point of the dietary guidelines is to prevent chronic disease, not treat chronic disease. Yeah, it would be incredible. I'm pretty sure there's some stat out there that if more people ate fruits and vegetables, it would prevent like over 4,000 deaths in Australia each year, mm. which is crazy, you know, just the power of fruits and vegetables, right? But Man, that's why I love doing dietary recalls as a dietitian. You know, every single client I get, I go through 
their current dietary patterns with a fine tooth comb with them. And I get them to tell me everything that they're eating on average each day, right down to the finest little details. And then I love being able to pick that apart and come up with strategies for how they can actually start to get more micronutrients into their diet. Because some of the biggest ticket items that I find is that Yeah, people just do not consume enough calcium, right? Even people who aren't consuming yogurt or milk or cheese, if they're consuming like plant milk, sometimes they're not even picking the calcium fortified ones, which is, I think that's just silly because like there's so many fortified plant milks out there like almond milk and soy milk. Yeah, but it's to to play good cop, like it's... (laughs) It's some, they're not doing it. On, it's not like they're saying, oh, the calcium, I don't want that. They, they might just be grabbing the non-fortified yeah. one. Yeah, they might, they might just not know. Again, so we need education, right? But I think the big ticket items that I always find is that people generally aren't consuming enough calcium. People aren't consuming enough omega-3s. You mm-hmm. know, people just rarely consume at least two serves of oily fish per week. And even if they are consuming fish, right, it's like a can of tuna. and Or it's farmed. Like yeah. that's the difficulty, especially in Australia, is mm-hmm. like if you eat fish that you get from the deli at Woolies or Coles, it's most likely going to be farmed. Yeah, and it probably has a diet of corn, which is putting it much higher in omega-6 fatty acids mm. rather than omega-3 fatty acids. That's why if I'm ever talking to someone, right, like I'm always like, so do you mind canned fish? <laughs> and I'm always talking about the oily canned fish. So I'm talking about things like smoked kippers and sardines and herring mm. and mackerel and salmon that's yeah. wild caught, not tuna. So yes, tuna is a fish, but... It, tu- is an, it can be an oily fish, fish too, yeah. but not the tin tuna because you no. look at the fat content of that and it's like mm-hmm. 0.2 grams. Yeah, or if you get one that does say tuna in oil, it's probably just in vegetable oil or yes, yeah, some sort of olive oil blend or something. Mm. So that tuna does, canned tuna just does not have omega-3s, okay? But yeah, that's a big one. Omega-3s, calcium, iron intake as well. People just, you know, really aren't consuming enough iron either. And unfortunately, guys, the thing is, is that unless you are actually consuming red meat a few times per week, combined with other animal sources of iron, like some turkey, like some chicken, like some fish, like some or eggs. Or some cereals are fortified in iron. Yeah, some cereals are fortified with iron. But then, as we've spoken about on other podcasts, right, like what do you consume cereal with? You consume it with milk or you consume it with yogurt, which has a high amount of calcium in it, mm. which interferes with that iron absorption. So... Unless you are actually consuming red meat a few times per week, and you can get it from good sources. Like Jack and I love consuming kangaroo here in Australia because it's wild caught. It's not farmed like beef is or any other animal, which we feel better about. And it's much lower in fat, and it's a great source of dietary iron, uh, the heme iron. It's incredibly difficult to just get iron from just green leafy vegetables and oatmeal and, you know, black beans and stuff like that. So that's a really tough one too. And I think just overall fruit and vegetable intake, fruit and vegetable diversity, fiber diversity, getting whole grains in as well. That's a huge thing. And I guess the last one's like, obviously you can't necessarily get enough vitamin D from the diet. You need to get that from the sun. But sometimes people, even despite Australia being so sunny, some people really just don't get outside enough or when they do, they're always covered up. So they're not actually exposing their skin to the sunlight. Yeah, you know what I'm quite keen for is the first ever commercial lab-grown meat mm. where they grow it just by cult, like culture in a Petri dish 
And then that way they can tailor every single thing via their own terms. Like they can put in more than enough iron. They can put in a great distribution of vitamin B12. Yeah. So I think it's only a matter of time before that comes to shelves. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest issue now is the, is it's always money. Like the, there's so much money involved in, in cattle and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's just not enough money being put into uh, renewal. I, I don't even know what to call it. Like it's renewable not renewable meat. It's not renewable <laughs> meat, but it's meat grown in the lab. Yeah. It doesn't involve killing any animal. Mm-hmm. And there's actually, there's a decent uh, documentary on Netflix about it. I think it's called, is it called the future of meat? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And I guess something to ask yourself to, if you're listening to this podcast is like, if they put that, that sort of meat on the shelf. So if you had the choice to buy, let's say it tasted like red meat or turkey or chicken, they're probably going to have different flavors, of course. But if they put that on the shelves, would you buy that as opposed to re- uh, like cow or lamb or mm-hmm. chicken, knowing that there were no animals killed in that process or knowing that it was just as nutritious, maybe even more nutritious mm-hmm. than regular meat? Because I think the method that they'll do it is they'll get a cell from a turkey or from beef cattle or whatever, and then they'll culture that and grow it. So technically it's the same meat, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not in, it's not involved in any harm to the animal. Yeah. You save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of animals lives. Yeah. Yeah. And think about the environmental impact as well. Right. And who cares if it's grown in a lab, dude, we're all, we are all already consuming things that are, that come from labs. If you consume creatine monohydrate that comes from a lab, <laughs> if you're consuming any sort of vitamin or mineral supplement, if you're consuming a food like your cereal that's fortified with iron hey that came from a lab mm. you know like babies are made in labs these days like what's wrong with a lab man All science is, is cool is mm. genetically modified as well yeah absolutely. in a good way not a bad way so i think that would be silly to put up a fight and say no i want an animal to die so I, that i can eat my meat mm. i don't want to eat it from a petri dish yeah because I, I, I put a poll up on my story a while ago and i think people misunderstood the question because mm-hmm. i was like if you could consume lab-grown meat versus normal meat, which one would you choose? And I think people kind of just took it the wrong way. Yeah, they didn't quite understand yeah. what you meant. I should have explained a bit more, but maybe <laughs> I assume that they'd watch the documentary because I put a photo of the, the documentary, but yeah. definitely watch that. It's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But either way, like we said, as long as you're hitting your other micronutrient requirements through a wide variety of foods, six servings of fruit isn't necessarily excessive. But if you were truly consuming six servings of fruit per day, which like we said, would technically be 900 grams of fruit, I'd be genuinely impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, I think I'm consuming maybe three at the moment mm-hmm. with, it'll definitely get higher as I consume more uh, the hungrier I get, the more strawberries I'll consume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> strawberries are good. All right. So we will move on to our last question for the day. So this one's basically asking about how to accurately track meat when you're cooking it. So it's basically talking about if I had a steak that had a bit of fat on it, right? And I put it in the pan and I cook my steak, but some of the fatty acids in that steak melt and they go into the pan, right? Then you take your steak out of the pan, but there's still some oil left over in the pan. Should you track that oil? Or should you somehow subtract it from the entry in my fitness pal? What would you do in this situation, Jack? Cool. So I think this might be a good segue to say like what determines whether a fat is solid or liquid at room temperature. Mm. So basically 
every fatty acid chain has hydrogen bonds attached to it or hydrogen bonds I should say and basically saturated fat what saturated means is that it's saturated with hydrogen and that that way it's so that when that's when you know it's solid at room temperature versus something that is monounsaturated mm -hmm. which is liquid at room temperature yeah exactly so that's why you can put your coconut oil on the shelf and if it's a pretty cold day right your coconut oil will solidify whereas your olive oil will stay in a liquid format mm. similar to butter that's saturated fat similar to if you have a steak and it has a rim of white on the outside right that's saturated fat mm. yeah uh, something that i was quite interested to learn about but <laughs> Anyway, this is, uh, to me, to be honest, this is like kind of overanalyzing and it's something I wouldn't think about myself. Like I, whenever I cook barramundi, there's a lot of fat left in the pan, which I don't eat, but I don't really care about it. I just throw it down the drain or in the bin. Really? But that's where all the, those are the omega-3s, yo. Yeah, but then you could argue it's a farmed fish anyway, so it doesn't, it doesn't really contain any, many omega-3s or potentially heating it to that temperature might have damaged the omega-3 anyway okay. but how do you then draw the line between in you know when you're in comp prep right and you're trying to be so specific with your macros hitting everything within a plus or minus one or two grams but you've just poured like 10 grams worth of fat down the drain well one i think unless you're having a steak very rarely then i think you should be cutting all of that fat off mm -hmm. anyway i think that's the i don't want to use the healthiest thing to do but the, the, yeah it kind of is yeah um so and then if you're only having it very rarely like once a month then it doesn't matter anyway about the numbers because it's so infrequent so that's you can that's kind of my unfortunately i have quite a boring point of view on this like i i don't really care that much <laughs> you don't care but like you still want to hit your numbers accurately so yeah well if i wanted to hit my numbers accurately then i would have the oil mm -hmm. and then if I would have the oil either way because it would, to, for me, it would be too much trouble to then track the oil and then find something else that was 10 grams of pure fat when I'd already hit my other macros. So yeah, yeah that's my, that's my point of view. But what about you? Yeah. So I think that I would, this is the iffy thing with my fitness pal sometimes, right? Like let's say that I bought a steak, right? And this steak is just pure red meat, right? There's, there's not an ounce of fat on it because you can't see any fat on the steak. It's just purely red. But then you put it on the scale, you put it into my fitness pal and you type lean steak and it tells you that, Oh, your steak, even though it's technically lean, will have 10 grams of fat in it. And I'm like, well, it doesn't because this is pure meat. What was that fish we saw once? And I, I, I typed in like 200 grams and it was yeah. like 40 grams of fat. Yeah. So Jack freaked out because we I both... I didn't freak out. Okay. Uh, well... <laughs> you freaked out, I think. I didn't freak out. I ate the fish. You froze your filet. Okay. So Jack and I both bought these filets of mackerel, right? And then Jack looked it up on MyFitnessPal and it said that for the total amount of grams, the mackerel filet was like 200 grams or something, had like 40 grams of fat and he was like this is way too much fat and this is a few like months ago in the improvement season i'm like no i was in, i was in my mini cut oh then. yeah you were in your mini cut right and i was just in my improvement season i'm like i'm still eating the fish man i don't care but like you you know when you cook something right if i was to cook a piece of fish and it apparently had 40 grams of fat in it there would be hell of fat in the pan but this filet of mackerel right it just cooked and it was just 
wasn't dry, but it definitely wasn't oily. There was it no didn't excess. Excrete any fat. No, not at all. So my fitness pal was wrong, right? So that's the thing. You can't always trust those numbers. So to be but honest, then I looked it up on a a, a site dedicated to mm-hmm. fish nutrition. Yeah. And it was still forty grams of fat. Yeah, but it depends on what cut of meat are you actually getting, right? And again, do you trim off the fat? Because my fitness pal just doesn't know that. So. To hit my numbers the most accurately, generally if I'm consuming meat, I will consume very, very lean sources of meat. So like the kangaroo, if I would consume some chicken breast or something like that. If I got a steak, and let's say that I actually got a steak, right? And I just weighed out just the meat portion, um, and I could just estimate how much protein that was, right? Based on my fitness pal. But my fitness pal said, it's actually got 10 grams of fat extra in it. And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't. If I needed to actually hit an extra 10 grams of fat, then I would just give myself an extra 10 grams of fat from something like olive oil or something like cheese or avocado or maybe some egg yolks or something like that. And then I just wouldn't track that in my fitness pal to just make up for those total numbers. Mm. Does that make sense? Or even if it goes over my target on my fitness pal, I would just subtract that 10 grams because I'm like, I know I didn't actually eat that. Yeah, like that That just seems overall a bit inaccurate and a lot of trouble to me. <laughs> but everyone's different. Like I would, I think the Nut tab entries on my fitness power are very good for mm-hmm. me. And they even have like fully trimmed or like a smaller, they have different descriptions for how much fat is on something. Mm-hmm. And usually if if it's, if you can get the cut of meat accurate on my fitness pal on Nut tab with um, with the, with like red meat, fully trimmed, etc., sirloin steak, then it does a pretty good job. Yeah, it's pretty close. So like for me, going beyond that isn't worth the accuracy or inaccuracy because especially if, as long the big thing is staying consistent with it. As, if you're having it regularly, mm-hmm. and then if you're not having it regularly, it, it's it's going to be a one off. Yeah. But um, everyone's everyone's different. Yeah, exactly, and that's why it goes to show like you'll never truly know. You'll never really hit your macros perfectly, but just do your absolute best and man, use your brain, right? Mm. Like if an entry is telling you that a fish has 40 grams of fat in it and you're like, no, it doesn't, right? Like trust yourself rather than the random entry mm. on my fitness pal, even if it is nut tab, because you know, or just use the oil in the pan, fry some veg, put it on your salad. Yeah. It's going to taste good anyway. So mm-hmm. use it up. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully that helps a little bit right? (laughs) Okay. So final thing we cover each episode is one thing that we learned this week. So Jack, what did you learn this week? So this morning, in fact, I learned that our dog, Sam loves yogurt. I don't know why I've never given her yogurt before because I usually use up three Chobani tubs per week. (laughs) And so yeah, today I I just gave her a semi-empty Chobani tub and she loved it. So Mm. That's um, something very important that I learned this week. Yeah, giving Sam all that uh, protein and that calcium, right? And that's the thing, right? We have so many leftover peanut butter jars, right? Mm. And a lot of people love giving their dogs peanut butter jars. And The only issue is they're glass. They're glass. Yeah, so they're not plastic. So, like, I don't know. Can someone else tell us, like, do you ever give your dog a glass peanut butter jar? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to run the risk, obviously, of Sam, like, you know, breaking the glass, of course, but at the same time, they're pretty, they're tough. Like, yeah, I, but Sam chews rocks. Yeah. I think she can chew, <laughs> chew through glass. Yeah. Sam does chew everything. So, but still, I want to give her the peanut butter, you know, but yeah, someone tell us, do you give your dog glass peanut butter jars? That'd be really helpful. Yeah. Well, I'm already answering no. So. <laughs> you just made up your mind. Even if it was hundred percent safe, don't want to run the risk. Yeah. 
okay. pretty much. Like what if, anyway. What if? Not, <laughs> what if it dropped down the stairs, shattered, and then she ate it and stuff? Yeah, um, what if we left it in the house where it's just a flat floor and it was a safe environment and she can enjoy some peanut butter? Okay. okay. What did you learn this week? <laughs> uh, this week, I actually learned how to do some stage walking, which is still at the point where it still feels really funky, but I'm doing my p- weekly posing lessons every single week with Steph Calms, and uh, you know I'm just learning how to actually walk right now, which is very difficult to learn how to actually properly stage walk and sway your hips like all the IFBB bikini competitors do. And it's literally like learning how to walk again. All right. It's like, you know, if you are right-handed, right. And you've been writing with your right hand your whole life, it's like picking up a pen with your left hand and trying to do the exact same thing. It's going to take a lot of time to learn a completely different movement pattern and get your brain used to that. So yeah, right now I'm trying to learn how to do some stage walk in preparation for IFBB next year. And uh, yeah, it's just about like crossing over my feet and like with each step, I'm actually pointing my toes outward and trying to pop up one hip at one time. It still looks pretty funky right now, but you know, over the next coming months with practice every single day, I'm definitely going to get it. And you'll see yeah. my hips swaying on stage. <laughs> yeah, it's looking great. Thank you. I still think it looks really funky, but give me another like 10 weeks and hopefully it's looking great by then. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you're practicing every day, so Thank it's, you. Um, it's only going to get better. Yeah. I usually, well, Jack usually finishes his breakfast about like 20 minutes after me and then we take the dogs for a walk. So during that 20 minute interim, I'm usually just popping on some heels and clonking around the house. <laughs> All right. But anyway, that is the end of our 95th episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our discussions today. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.